0: As they go, just a couple things I want to mention. One, if you are a student and you have never—I say student, let me rephrase that—if you are a seventh through twelfth grader and you've never come to youth group, it meets every Sunday night in the gym from six to eight, and you are always welcome. I want to mention one other thing. Um, We—one of the weird things about church is that we do annual elections, and so the annual elections for leadership. That ballot is posted in the Welcome Center, so if you want to check it out, you can. Next Sunday is the annual election Um, in which, if you're a member of our church, you're allowed to vote on the things that that are part of our church. And uh, if you're not a member and you want to be, there's a class literally today, right after the service. So um, hopefully we'll see a few of you there. And uh, so that's that's that. But Celebrate Life is an incredible event that I can't say enough good about. And um, it probably changed my life. And set a trajectory when I was in seventh grade. It's when I picked the college I was going to go to, mostly because of that event. And I have no regrets over that. So I will tell you, to think about sending your kids, if you have teenagers, uh, it's worth their time. So, and, and as Holly said, it's okay to miss two days of school, just not 20. So, you know, I would encourage them to go. When I was a kid, I won an art contest. Um, I know that is shocking to many of you because you all think my wife is the artist or even my kids. True. I actually won multiple art contests. One of them I remember, I don't remember why I won it, but I won a tree like a sapling, a little small, small, tiny tree that I was supposed to plant. So I took this thing home, I dug a hole, I put it in the hole, I put the dirt back in, and I began to water it. A week later, it was like dead. Um, so my mom decided, the next year she bought me some seeds, some apple tree seeds, and I planted them. And sure enough, um, nothing grew. Um, by the way... Rich and Terry, and those who helped with the garden yesterday, thank you for your help. I think there were well over 25 people helping plant yesterday. There's a reason you don't want me helping with that. Yeah, but thank you for all that you guys do. Because if I do it, we will get the same result we got with the trees. Um, well, finally, my mom bought a bigger tree that was already substantive, and it grew, and it's still there at my parents' house even today. But I kept wondering, why is it what I planted never grew? Was it the soil wasn't good enough? Did I not water enough? Um, Was it the wrong type of tree? Honestly, I don't really know the answer. I just know this, that if you do the right things in the right order, and you plant the seed correctly, um, a small thing grows into something great. Right every tree we see around us everywhere we look is a tree that started as a seed that's how that works that's not surprising to you but what seems so insignificant such an inconsequential thing is something that becomes something so much greater right? it's why size doesn't determine significance something that starts small doesn't mean it doesn't have great impact and this idea is so true in our lives one decision, made one time, can set the trajectory for our lives in all kinds of directions. We all know this. We may not think about it, right? How many of us, if we're honest, take the time to step back and look at our lives and reflect and go, huh, what decision did I make that brought me to where I am today? And the truth is, there's probably lots of little decisions that have great impact over time in our lives. And the question is, every decision we make allows something to take root in our lives. So the question for you and I is, what is taking root in our lives? Is what's growing in our life what we want to be growing? So as we continue our series looking at the stories from Jesus, these parables in which he spoke, Jesus spoke in parables, or stories. He was a great storyteller. He told stories that illustrate aspects of life. He understood and understands the human condition, the human heart, the way life is meant to be lived, and what might happen if we lived our best lives coming to know who God is. And so parables are designed to tell deep truths of life. They tell us all kinds of things. Parables are stories that challenge us to see not only ourselves and the world differently, but God differently as well. Parables shape us. And parables are things that when you read them once, you go, oh, that's really good. And then you don't know what it meant or you read it 25 times and you find something new every single time you read it. That's why Jesus often told parables. They're designed to make you think, to reflect, to wonder, to wrestle, to come to the place you go, huh, I wonder if God is like this. And in fact, what we're going to find is Jesus begins almost every one of his parables or his stories with this singular phrase. The kingdom of God, or the kingdom of heaven, is like. And so we See, this particular parable happens to be in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Um, John apparently didn't like the parable and didn't record it, but the other three did. And so here's what we find in these three parables. First, from Matthew 13. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it's the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it's the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds come and perch in its branches. And then from Mark. Again he said, What shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It's like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants, with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. And then from Luke. Then Jesus asked, what is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? It is like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his garden. It grew and became a tree, and the birds perched in its branches. I'll oh, be clear I know very little about, well, honestly, anything that has to do with gardening or branches or trees or. Um, even I think grass sometimes, because I want it to grow, it just doesn't always work. So I call, call some friends from here and go, hey, um, my grass is not quite growing how I want it to, what should I do? So I know very little, but here's what I know about mustard plants. I had to Google all this and look it up, right? Uh, mustards are a curative, available to all. The seeds insist on growing. One singular plant offers more than one person can use. And it's a plant that everyone can partake of. And so, um, years ago, I had someone, I I talked about mustard seeds, and someone gave me a whole jar of them, which is so nice of them. I guess you can make a salad with them. But, like, this is a mustard seed. I know you can't see it. That's probably the point. Um, And so they just sat on my desk as a reminder about what one little thing may mean and what impact something may have. And so they just sit in the corner of my desk as a reminder but Jesus does what he does in this parable, and he says it's the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is like. I wish he followed it up with like a skyscraper that you cannot miss. He doesn't. I wish he said the kingdom of heaven includes doing whatever you want to do. That isn't what he says. I wish he had said the kingdom of he- heaven is whatever you want it to be. Again, not what he says anywhere. In fact, what he says, he says It's small. Like a mustard seed. I mean, like I said, it's not the smallest seed out there. In fact, there are smaller seeds. There were smaller seeds even in Jesus' day. That wasn't his point. But how is it that sometimes things that are so small, right, so inconsequential, so flippant, so, so much things that we just set aside and we don't worry about. And so a mustard plant and... In the Middle East might grow to between 9 and 12 feet. Not quite a giant tree, but pretty significant from that small seed, right? 9 to 12 feet is something that's large enough that it's noticeable. It has impact, but it's not a skyscraper. But it offers something of value. And so what in the world is Jesus trying to say? Because if you're like me, you're going, I don't even like mustard. What's the point of this? See, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, seems like something small and inconsequential that isn't going to make much impact in the world around us. It doesn't seem like it can change anything. It may have started so small that you think there's no way God's kingdom, God's creation, God's, God's heaven, if you will, will come into the world in such a way that it'll change anything. It's too insignificant. And yet, Jesus again and again kept saying, the kingdom of heaven is like. The kingdom of heaven is near. The kingdom of God has come. Over and over, he uses these singular phrases. Why? Why? Why do we talk about the kingdom of God in parables and stories and things that are sometimes difficult to understand what might happen we begin to recognize that part of what Jesus is trying to say here is when the kingdom of God takes root, it may look so small, it may look so insignificant, it may look as if it is not doing anything great, but over time, just imagine what started so inconsequential becomes something of such great consequence. And isn't that how Jesus operated? Isn't that who he was and is? Let's think about his life for a moment, right? He wasn't born in a palace, Born in probably a cave. He was born in a little town called Bethlehem in the Middle East in the middle of nowhere. He went as a refugee to Egypt. When he came back, he moved to a town called Nazareth, which in fact, even one of his own followers said, Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Right? It's, like a, it's like a place that no one wanted to live. You didn't want to be known as being from Nazareth. Pick any place else, right? It's like being from Louisiana or Mississippi. If any if you were from Louisiana, Mississippi, I'm sorry today. I didn't know. So I was trying to pick places I didn't think any of you were from. Right? No one wanted to be from there. He didn't want to live there, but he happened to be from this place. Other than the time he was an immigrant to Egypt, other than that time in his life, he stayed pretty much close to home the rest of his life. He was a Jewish carpenter that lived in the first century in the far province of the great empire of Rome. Insignificant place. But think about the impact of Jesus. We mark time from his birth. The assumed moral code of our day stems from him. Women did not have value before Jesus began to speak and teach, and it radically changed the way women are even viewed in the world in which we live. And here's the thing. He overturned the Roman Empire. And not through military might, Not through politics, not through manipulation, but he did it through the sacrifice of himself and love. I know. It's crazy, right? You can barely go anywhere in the world in which you recognize that hospitals and schools started and stemmed from who he is. And his followers decided that's the way he called us to care for one another. It's not a stretch at all to say Jesus is the human being who changed history more than any other person. And yet it all started like a mustard seed. And then, his followers, this ragtag group of individuals, these ordinary men who lived in the Middle East, who found themselves locked in an upper room in Jerusalem, scared for their lives, out of that grew what we call the church. These people who had followed Jesus, who had laid down his life, his singular decision, his decision to lay down his life for the sake of others to talk to them about what the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is like. Through his sacrifice, the conquest of death and evil itself. And these followers, these scared grown men in the upper room, sort of what we call the church. And the church is in nearly every country of the world. In fact, I would say it this way, it is thriving the most in the places it is least welcome. How does that happen? It's like a mustard seed. It thrives, and we're not really sure why. And so what do we do with this story? How does this impact your life Before I talk about all the great ways in which one decision can radically impact your future, what if we recognize the reality that one poor decision can have a radical impact as well? Have you noticed this? You can write just a few words on social media that can have such a detrimental effect to other people and relationships in your life. You can say just a few small words to a friend and you can ruin relationships that existed for years. I've met with couples who just a phrase or a sentence has almost ended an entire marriage over decades. One small action that hurts another can have such ripple effects. One decision, one time, can be so radically impactful in the wrong ways. It can be destructive. In fact, it can be the opposite of the kingdom of God is like, it's more like the other kind of kingdom. But... What would happen if the people began to recognize that they call themselves followers of Jesus, they live from a place of love, and began to recognize that love doesn't say and doesn't do certain things because that's not what love looks like? That might just change the world. I've told this story before, and I'll tell it again and probably again in the future. Um, so my family's story, I, I always trace back to my grandfather on my, my, my mom's dad. And I always trace the story back to him because I don't honestly know the other side of the story more, which is ironic. I should ask my grandmother. I talked to her yesterday. Um, She accidentally called me. She's 99. Um, She picked up her phone trying to call my cousin. It was his birthday, but she called me instead. And so we talked as I walked through Lowe's. Um, But I don't know enough about her side of the story. I should actually ask my grandmother some more questions. So that's what I'll do next time we talk. But, But I was thinking about how my grandfather on the other side, right, um, in the 1940s, he was raised by his grandmother, and that didn't happen much in that day, right? We, we, we act like it didn't. But he was raised by his grandmother, a broken family. Mom and dad weren't married. Mom basically left him at her mom's house and took off. So my grandfather was raised by his grandmother and his grandfather, and his grandfather died when he was seven in an accident at work. So here's my seven-year-old grandfather being raised by his grandmother, my great-great-grandmother, And so at some point, they were invited to this little like tent meeting revival thing in the cornfields of Iowa, and my grandmother decided to go. And so there she went, she and my grandfather went out there, and at some point, I don't know exactly when, she decided she wanted to give her life to follow Jesus, and so did he. And so out of that decision, my grandfather, right, he he grew up in, in Burlington, Iowa. In fact, he was such a good baseball player. That there, I've seen the newspaper clippings, I don't know if he kept them, my grandmother did, uh, before she passed my, he he was on the front page of all these newspapers, he was recruited by all these, like, professional sports teams were interested in him to come play baseball, but he decided as a teenager, hey, you know what, baseball plays too much on Sunday, and I don't want there to be any question what's most important in my life, so I'm going to not play baseball anymore, because I think I want to make sure that, that Jesus is the most important thing in my life. Got married young, like 19 and 18, I think my grandmother and grandfather were. Um, was going to be an accountant. Went to one year of community college and then felt like God was calling him to ministry. Left that, went to Olivet, was Nazarene College at the time. Uh, went there and became a pastor. Had four kids. One, his freshman year of college. Don't recommend that to any of you. He had two kids at graduation. Crazy. <laughs> but then, ironically, here's my family's story. My grandfather, who grew up in a broken home, who came to know Jesus as a young kid, had four kids. All those four kids were married. All those kids had grandkids. And so here's my thing. This kid who grew up in a broken home made a decision to follow Jesus, eventually helped lead his own mother to know Jesus. And so now three generations removed. So two generations above him and three below have been radically changed by one decision. We sometimes go, well, it's just me. If I make one decision, does it have that much impact? Is it really going to change everything else? Well, I can tell you this. um, If it wasn't for him, I don't know what I would be doing today. I don't know where I would be. I mean, my parents did a really good job. I'm not saying that, but... But like I watched someone who served sacrificially the church and his family who gave of himself. I, I will never forget the time he had just retired and went back to work part-time with the church. And I walked in, and here's this guy was probably 66 years old. I know he's not that old. I, I thought it was really old when I was like 19, so bear with me. I was like 20, I think, but I thought he was super old then. He's not, he wasn't super old. But there he was. He'd taken off his dress shirt, and he he's wearing his dress pants, and he's in the church foyer, sanding down a bathroom door, He's like, well, we don't need to pay to have someone do this. I can do this. Right? One decision, as a kid, as a teenager, as a young man, set the trajectory for my family for the future. You never know the impact that one decision you make, one seemingly insignificant decision, how it impact generations to come in your family. Today, all of my cousins are involved in the church in some way, my siblings, and so to the third, to the great-grandkids like my kids, and I can't help but think, one decision, deciding to be faithful with your life, changed the trajectory of an entire generation. So what about you? What if it's not too late? What if today, right here, right now, you can make a decision that will change the future? See, one small decision, one small sacrifice, one small family may just change the future. So here's my challenge for you today. Make a decision to change the trajectory of your family. Make a decision to change the trajectory of your family. I don't care what direction it has been going. It may be going in a good direction, but what if it was just a little bit better? What if you made one decision to go in a new direction that might radically change everything? And you say, well, you know, I'm not married or I don't have kids. What if your decision now has still had ripple effect on other people? Right, one of the realities, I became pastor and I thought, um, I realized pretty quickly, I can't make people do anything I can ask people to do lots of things, but I can't make anyone do anything, right? I I kept I had this great great dream, right? We all have grand dreams when we're young. Um, I still say I'm young, although I'm getting more gray hair and getting older, and so what, we're going to pretend like that's not always true too, right? But I was saying how you can't make people do anything, and I had this dream that when I became a pastor, like, I would just tell people about God's love and how Jesus died for them, and if they would just come to know him, their life would be so much better, and then when I would say it, like, that simply, and people would just do it. That doesn't happen. Every once in a while. And here's the crazy thing. People get to make their own decisions. I I don't know if you know this, but did you know you and I can't save anyone? I want to make sure you understand this. This is a pretty important thing. Um, You and I can't save anyone. We don't get to make anyone make any decision ever. In fact, I am not responsible for the decisions that anyone else makes. And neither are you. But you and I are responsible, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, for telling people about Jesus. In fact, um, we're responsible for planting seeds. Small, insignificant, inconsequential things that sometimes blossom into something we never thought possible. One little small conversation. and So you're going, well, man, this is, how do I do that? Um, I want to remind you of one thing. One, God loves people more than you and I ever could. But don't ever underestimate the impact you could have. You know of the easiest way to tell people about Jesus in your life? is to literally tell your story. Tell how he impacted you, how a singular instance where you encountered him, how one decision you made changed your life, who you were before you knew him, when you came to know him, and what the trajectory of your life has been since then. It doesn't mean you just say, hey, I am perfect, look at me, but it does say, hey, I know the one who is perfect and who is redeeming all that is broken, even me. Just tell people your. Because then, here's the challenge, if you would make a decision to share your story, it might just change eternity. I know we think that that our small decisions, our small actions, our small things, we we feel like I'm not that important, I'm not that powerful, I'm not that whatever it might be, right? I don't have the influence, I don't have the social media followers, whatever it might be that you think, I can't do this or this or that because my one small decision will not be enough. So someone else better do it. But here's the way God's kingdom worked. It's like a mustard seed. One of the smallest seeds. But when it begins to grow... You can't imagine what happens. It begins to offer life to those around it. It begins to be valuable in ways we never thought valuable before. And so what if you and I, if we live from the place of love, what if our impact in the world around us begin to grow? And so I love the story that William Barclay tells about um, one of the early church church followers of Jesus. Here's what he writes. A reformation begins with one person. One of the great stories of the Christian church is the story of Telemachus, He was a hermit of the desert, but something told him, the call of God, that he must go to Rome. He went. Rome was nominally Christian. But even in Christian Rome, the gladiatorial games went on, in which men fought with each other and crowds roared with the lust for blood. Telemachus found his way to the games. 80,000 people were there to spectate. He was horrified. Were these men who were slaughtering each other not also children of God? He leapt from his seat right into the arena and stood between the gladiators. He was tossed aside. He came back. The crowds were angry. They began to stone him. Still, he struggled back between the gladiators. The prefect's command rang out. A sword flashed in the sunlight, and Telemachus was dead. And then suddenly there was a hush. Suddenly the crowd realized what had happened. A holy man lay dead. Something happened that day to Rome, for there were never any gladiatorial games anymore. The one man had let loose something by his death that cleansed an empire of sin. Someone must be a reformation. He need not begin it in a nation. He can begin it in his home, or where he works every day. If he begins it, no man knows where it will end. One person, one decision can change things. One person, one decision can have radical impact. Your life matters. You can set a trajectory for not just yourself, but for the community in which you live and the people in which you love if you live it in the way that Jesus invites us to, you might just change the trajectory for eternity of someone else. One decision for you and for your family might be the greatest decision you ever make. Small actions can lead to great impact. Small actions can lead to great impact. And it comes back to the question we asked earlier What are you allowing to grow in your life? What is one small step that you should probably take today? God may just use that one small step, that one small decision to change the future. Kingdom of heaven, what is it like? A mustard seed. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together for the way that you love us and call us to be your unique people. We thank you for the way you invite us to be the people of God in every aspect of our life. We pray that you might help us to become the kind of people who look and sound and act like your son. And so, Father, help us recognize that somehow what we think seems so small and so insignificant can lead to great things. May you open our eyes and our ears to become the unique people you have called us to be. May you help us to find that we can live from this place of love that radically changes the world in which we live. May you help us to begin by allowing ourselves to be changed in our homes and then may you use us in our workplaces. May we recognize that just one singular decision that may lead to a whole bunch of other decisions might lead us to a place in which we find ourselves in a different place than we ever imagined. And so may you use us to further the work of your kingdom. We pray all of this in your son Jesus' name.